You're listening to the CTK O'Fallon Podcast. And good to have everybody in the house of the Lord this morning. I'm going to preach uh, maybe something that seems a little bit different uh, than is normal, the custom and uh, just my approach from something God laid on my heart last night. And uh, I was uh, praying about what to preach and had dealt with things as you do as pastor, as a preacher, and sometimes God will give you things ahead of time. And something just hit me last night, and I was overcome, overwhelmed, I guess you could say. So I'm going to preach to you today from a passage of Scripture in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And uh, if you're able, I know we've been up and down, stand one more time for the reading of the Word of God. My, my title today is Pray for Us. And... Uh, that's the title I gave to them, but the title I really wanted to use was Pray For Me. Pray For Me. And so whenever the pastor or the preacher gets up and tells everybody, pray for me, that, that can sound, that's a little different than what we're normally used to. But that's my title today, Pray For Me. So let's just, I'll just change the whole, you already made the title slide, you can't change it, but... I'll just pray for me. That's my title today. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We'll read 10 verses of Scripture about 14. This is the closing epistle, the second epistle that Paul writes. And he says, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good both among yourselves and to all men. He's packing as much as he can in these closing words. It's like he's not going to talk to them again, and he's just packing it in there. Concise, rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. My go-to personal, go-to Thanksgiving verse, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the Spirit. Despise not prophecies, prophesyings, prove all things, hold that which is fast. Abstain from all appearance of evil, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole body, spirit, and soul, and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. He's taken as much as he can, and he's put it in. And then all of a sudden he turns and says in verse 25, brethren, pray for us. Pray for us. Let's lay our Bibles down and ask God to have his way. Lord, in Jesus' name, I thank you today for giving us the opportunity to be in your presence. And I ask in these next few moments, 
that nothing else God would would distract our mind and our spirit but that you can speak to us as individuals as people that are in need of you, that are grateful, that love you, that are, 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 are appreciative of your grace, but in need of more grace today. The power of your spirit, in Jesus' name, have your way. And we say amen. Amen. God bless you. Amen. This morning, you can be seated. Pray for me. Pray for me. Pray for me is probably a statement that many pastors want to make often and don't. I know it's a statement that parents say often. Uh, amen? I, I know it's a statement a lot of people say often, but there are certain roles and there are certain positions that we hold in life at different seasons where it is not taboo, so to say, but it is, it is expected that everything be okay. And it goes against the grain of our culture. Our culture says, grin and bear it. Our culture says, don't let them see your weakness. Our culture says, don't, don't cry. Our culture says, stand strong. And if we're not careful, we equate a facade as strength and success. And that is not reality. It is the Bible and it is Scripture who gives us a license and a pathway forward. It is to Scripture that gives us liberty, that allows us to exercise our challenges and our questions before God at the same time finding grace and peace with God. It is in this passage of Scripture that I was turning, anticipating the Thanksgiving season is upon us. And so my personal go-to Scripture is verse 18. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. We get hung up on that a lot. We, we may know it and quote it, but it, it really doesn't have as much value until you are in the depths of a valley. And then unpacking that scripture really, really can speak to you. You're not giving thanks for everything, but giving thanks in everything. And this is this is such a powerful truth, and so I was going there. I was going back to that. But you cannot take one verse of Scripture and lift it out of context. You usually, to really understand it, you've got to look at the whole, the verses before, the verses after, even the chapters, and even sometimes the book. And so as I went to here, I come back to this passage of Thessalonians where Paul is writing this letter to the New Testament church. It's his second letter we believe that Paul ever would write of the 12 or 13 that he would pen. It's, it's the second letter that Paul's going to write. And at the end, the close, he's giving off 
a list of final things. It's like he is being rushed for time and he cannot exhaust, so he's just got to give us the basics. And you can see it. It, it, It's like the first time mom and dad left you at the house by yourself and they've already gone through the whole list. They've already typed it out. They've already done everything. But now it's those parting things. Don't forget to turn off the lights. Don't forget to. And they go through all of these things. Paul is doing that. And he's just giving simple final admonitions. We exhort you. Warn them that are unruly, that are lazy, that, are, that, that aren't putting any effort. You, you, you got you to watch them. Uh, 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 the, the, the feeble-minded, they, they need to be comforted. The, the, the weak, they've got to be supported. They can't make it on their own. Don't forget about them. Be patient. You've got to have patience. See that you don't repay evil back for what evil's done. Everybody's been done wrong, but don't do that. Do, do good. Rejoice always. Evermore, always be rejoicing. You've got to. Re- he doesn't unpack it. He he can't go farther. He just leaves it there. Rejoice evermore. Oh, and pray without ceasing. He's in. He's imploring them. Don't stop. Don't ever get out of that state of being in a spiritual mind where God can at any moment speak to you. Keep keep the channel open and everything. Give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ. Jesus concerning you. Quench not the spirit. Don't stifle the move of God in your life. Despise not prophecies. Don't, don't, don't look at the prophet, the, the, the prophesyings. When, when you see those, don't, don't just neglect those and write those off. But in the very next word, he says, but prove all things. Don't just fall for everything. Test everything. Try everything. And then hold on to that which is good. Wow. He's packing it in. He's he's pushing it in. It's so compacted, but it's so powerful. And we can go back and we can spend, we could spend a lifetime exhausting just the parting words that Paul is giving here. Abstain from all appearance of evil and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly and I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ he, he, he is writing here and this is perhaps one of Paul's most inspiring passages. It's a summary. It has so much in so little. Linguistically, it flows and it builds. It it challenges us and it charges us. It equips us and, and, and then it secures us to an eternal hope by the power of an almighty God. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. And then Paul, the messenger, the inspirationalist, the TED Talk extraordinaire, turns and says, brethren, pray for us. It's unexpected. 
It doesn't seem like what should come next. He's the great leader. He's the apostle. He's the one that, that, wow, we're trying to measure up. We're trying to align our footsteps to the cadence of his, his, his walk of faith. Like, wow. And then he says, little old me, pray for us. As if it would not have dawned on us to pray for him. As if it would not have crossed our mind that he also deals with temptations and carries burdens and walks through trials and walks through triumphs and walks through tragedies. There's a burden for sure upon the ministry of the apostle we would see. There's a burden. There's a pressure. There's a threat. There were persecutions that, that came. The anxieties of living a life of faith at one place he says, the care after all of the other things being shipwrecked and imprisoned and beaten. After all of that, you take all of that away. And even then I'm left, he said, with the care of all of the churches, the burden, the realities of what it meant to be a preacher, the spiritual warfare that he's constantly engaging as he goes in and out of different communities. And now we get a glimpse in this moment into Paul's soul as if he's revealing you may think I'm okay, but I'm not okay without God either. Pray for us. He writes, not, he writes not as an individual, but he writes with Sylvanus and Timotheus. Those were the, the greetings, the opening. He said, here we come. And, and he introduced himself in the letter and he says, and we make mention of you daily in our prayers. We are praying for you. The church was receiving this letter. They were being inspired on, on these great men that are working and interceding on their behalf but then these great men that if if before verse 25 of this chapter you had paused we would have elevated them on a pedestal no doubt we would have exalted them perhaps we would have envisioned that they are are, are, are standing right there in the throne room of God and yet we have no access but Paul tears it down and, and he breaks this down. It's not just about Paul. It wasn't about Paul. Paul was not inciting sympathies for the preacher. And, and, and I want to make sure you don't understand that, or you, that you understand that's not what I'm doing today or, or meant when I said pray for me, which was my hesitation. I, I'm, I'm not looking for sympathy in that sense, but Paul does something more. He, he, he's not placating to the woe is me or poor preacher mentality. I, I, I don't believe that, that that ought to exist in the church. But Paul was exampling for us what it means to be vulnerable. And in this statement of saying pray for us or pray 
for me. Paul was giving license to every individual that it's okay to confess that you also suffer need. Paul was teaching us what it means to be human. And after strong admission and encouragement from the Lord, Paul had helped them navigate the triumphs and tragedies, the trials and burdens with a clear step forward. But yet now he turns around and says, pray for us. Pray that I might also navigate the trials and the tragedies. Pray that I might heed the direction and the commands and find success with the Lord. It is an unexpected contrast that after finishing this great sermon, Paul then stoops to the altar. Everything about it goes against our grain. And here is where I want to preach to you today because I'm not just coming and saying, pray for me, as in Andrew Romine, the pastor of this church, although I am saying, pray for me, as in Andrew Romine, the pastor. But what I'm saying is what Paul was letting us know. Culture says, don't let them see your weakness. Don't let them see you cry, hide your pain, grin and bear it. But just with three words, Paul collapses this house of cards, this facade that we carried, and he lets us know that you are never too big for prayer. You are never too big for prayer. You're never outside the need of prayer. You never are beyond the help of God. Pray for us. Not only do you need the help of God, but you need the help of God's body and you need his laborers. Paul's saying, I'm not okay without God and I'm not okay without your prayer. Paul's saying, I can pray, but what I need is not just for me to pray in God's grace, but I need your prayers. I need you to pray for me. It's as if he's saying, somebody pray for me. Can I tell you, brethren and sisters today, yes, we have to learn to pray. He, he told us that pray without ceasing, but we also have to learn how to be prayed for. Don't walk into the church and just say, well, who am I here to bless? Who am I here to, 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 to encourage by my testimony? Who am I here? Everybody should be like me. No, the Lord said that doesn't work. The, the Pharisee stood in the corner, and, and the sinner was in the other corner, and the sinner hit upon his chest and said, God, have mercy upon me, a sinner. And the Pharisee said, God, I thank you that you haven't made me like this sinner, that I, I, I'm not down there so so uh, humbly and, and embarrassingly uh, crawling to you and God said no you would have been better off if you would have been like the sinner saying hey I'm the one that needs prayer I'm the one that needs touched in my life pray for us you've got to learn to be prayed for you've got to be okay with being prayed for can I tell you CTK you've got to be okay with being prayed for it's okay to come to church to minister and still need to be ministered to. 
It's okay. Paul gave us license. I mean, you can't get much bigger and greater than Paul, the apostle. And he said, pray for us. That means it's okay for the pastor to come to church and to have heard from God and bring a word and preach a word, but yet all the while standing, waiting on a word from God for his own life. It's okay for, for, the, for, for the ministry to go and to lay hands on the sick and see them recover while you're still waiting for God to heal the sickness within your own heart. It's okay to preach grace and see grace heal the wounds of scars of years gone by and yet still be waiting for your own scars to heal. It's okay to teach and still need to be taught. It's okay, amen, to sing songs of rejoicing and still be waiting for your own victory. Pray for us. Pray for us. I came today to preach to you. I came today to see you. And I hope you came today to see me. But what I came more important than anything is I came today to be preached to. And I came today to lift up my heart in worship. And I came today to be prayed for. Did you come to be prayed for? Are you willing to lower yourself down? Are you willing to set the facade aside? Are you willing to be real with God and say, I need God in my heart? Come on, we got to be careful that we don't hide behind our careers and the success of our job and our comfortable cars and, 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 our, and our halfway decent homes and we march into church and we just come and think everything's okay and everything's good and we don't realize. God said, you don't know how long you have in this life. You don't know what's going on. You don't know what's in tomorrow. You better put your hope and your trust in God. I don't know what lays ahead of me this week, so I came saying, pray, pray for me, pray for us. It's not dishonest. It's not hypocritical. It's simply what it looks like to walk in faith. It's thanksgiving in a prison cell. It's thanksgiving in a prison cell. You want to be inspired, go to the book of Philippians. Paul is sitting in prison, and there is no more upbeat, rejoicing epistle. While Paul is smelling the dung and seeing the rats and all of this stuff, he's at the lowest he could be. He writes one of the most uplifting and inspiring things that you could ever say. And he says, I'm content because God's with me. That's what faith looks like. It's praise in a prison cell. It's a thorn of flesh in your side. Here I am. But God, I need prayer. I need prayer. I need prayer. Luke chapter 10. Jesus comes to the house of Lazarus. There his sisters Mary and Martha are there. And they're serving. As, as, as Christ would go, there would be a multitude. Of course, he had the 12 apostles. But then there was beyond that, there was a group that followed him. He, he probably always had a, a grouping of about 30 that were consistently following him with him because after the apostle uh, uh, Judas is gone and they're finding a place, to, someone to replace him in the book of Acts in chapter, uh, I think it's one, one of the qualifications was that whoever would take his place 
uh, uh, would have had to have qualified by having been with Christ every day. There were two that qualified that they, that they brought before the Lord to pray for. There was a multitude there. And so when Christ showed up, there was things, <laughs> there was logistic issues. Where are they going to sleep? Where, where, how are they, who, who's going to feed them? What, what's going to happen? And when the lot fell to Lazarus' house, Mary and Martha to be the host for this season in Bethany just to the east, on the backside of the Mount of Olives to the east of the city of Jerusalem, they were working busily. And Martha says, Mary have, has left me meaning Mary was there helping her and Mary was working alongside, but Mary comes and she stops the work and she ceases it. She comes to Christ where he's at teaching and the Bible says she sits at the feet of Jesus. Martha comes in, she's upset, dishes are stacking up, I can't keep up, I, I've got to have help, and this is our house. I mean, the servants can leave, but, but this is, falls back to us, and she comes in upset. And Jesus looks at her and says, you are troubled, you are encumbered with many things, but Mary has chosen the needful part. And she has seen what she needs. This is a lesson that Christ gives to us. It's one that Luke records. Luke allows us this glimpse into this story to let us know that while it's honorable, what an honor, what an awesome responsibility to be able to host the Messiah in his walks, in his journeys. What a great opportunity. And yes, you have great responsibility, but there is nothing more important than getting the grace of God in your life. And sometimes you've got to pause and you've got to stop and say, I need God. Yes. Pray for me. Yes. Mary's going through the house and she's serving and she's helping and she's collecting and she's distributing and she's coming around and she sees the Lord ministering to them. She sees Him. Uh, perhaps, uh, we don't know, but there were no doubt maybe miracles that were taking place in that moment and Christ was speaking individually in this home setting and Mary's going around and she realizes that's what I need that's what I've got to have in my heart and so she leaves that down and she comes down and she sits pray for me I need this can I tell you here at this church you've heard me say it before but let me be constant let me be let me be uh, uh, absolutely clear that there is nothing more important than the Spirit of God getting a hold of your heart. The light, the, 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 the piano man has license to come to the altar and walk off of the piano. Come on, the, the, the drummer and the sound man and the usher and the security, yes, you're here to serve and yes, you're here to help, but it's okay to say, you know what, today I, I, I came to serve, but, but right now, pr pray for me. I, I, I've got to have it in my life. I know I've been around a long time and I know you think I'm okay, but I'm not okay without God in my life. Pray for me. Pray for me. Oh, somebody, can you lift your hands toward heaven today? Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. I need you today. Come on, you, you, you don't have to pretend you're that strong. I don't want to be a part of a religion 
where the, where the pastor can never be real. Walk around like I never have bad days or heartaches or things. I don't want to be, I don't, I don't want to go to a church like that. Let me know, let me see. And Paul, when he writes this here, he, he tells them, I, I prayed for you. And you ought to pray without ceasing. And I, I pray that God touched your spirit and your soul and your body. But then he stops and says, but you've got to take time to pray for me. Because I need it. I need it in my life. And in this second epistle, Thessalonians, Paul would end with this admonishment, pray for us. And he would set a pattern. He would establish something that he would continue on. We'll see this request. We'll see this vulnerability. We'll see this light again in the book of Romans and Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians and Philemon and 2 Corinthians where he's going to remind them again as he would open up many of his letters, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. He would close it with pray for us. Pray for me. He was reminding them, I'm an apostle, not a Messiah. I'm a saint, not an angel. And I need the same grace that you need. And the reason I can preach to you strong about the grace and the mercy of God is because it's the only thing that's brought me to this point. And it's the only thing that's keeping me. And it's the only thing that's going to carry me on through. Pray for us. It's okay to need prayer. Holidays are upon us, and for many it will be painful. As you gather around the table, there will be memories and there will be the lack of things. There will be things that come back in life as we pause the routine, fast pace of our life. It will give us cause for reflection. You'll have moments, no doubt, some in this room where you'll break down. It's okay. Paul gives us license to let us know that it's okay to confess you need God. I need God. So why did you come to church today? You came today because you're in need of prayer. Ultimately. I mean, I love the coffee, but I know it's not that good. And I love the preaching, but I know it's not that good. You're not just here to listen to me. You're not just here to hear a song and a choir. You're here because you need prayer. And Paul gives us this example. Paul leads us. Wow, what a powerful thing. Thank you. Thank you, Paul, for just being real. Thank you for being able to inspire us and take us to the highest heights and then turn around and walk down and say, I need God. Thank you for being the, the proverbial soloist in the choir that just leaves us stunned without able ability to speak and then walking out of the choir loft down to an altar and saying, I'll be the first one to come down to say, I need prayer. I need strength in my life. I need the grace of God in my life. It's okay to need God in your life. As they come to the music, I close. Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 24 says this. But this man, speaking of Christ Jesus and the priesthood that he brought in, ushered in, more excellent one that would continue. But this man, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. 
Speaking of Jesus Christ, he says, Wherefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. The writer of Hebrews is letting us know that in the Old Testament there was a typology of the priest. And when that priest would go into that holy of holies, he would go as the minister of the Lord. He would walk in. And as he would go, he would take the sacrifice from the altar and he would bring it in. And that blood ultimately would be applied at the mercy seat. And there they were taught that the high priest made intercession. Meaning that there were things that you needed to achieve. There was a state you needed to achieve, a place of, of innocence, a place where there was no charge laid to the account of your sin. And so that blood shed represented an atonement. It represented an atonement. And it was the priest that administered the atonement. Somebody had to be the one that was arguing your case, if you will. We use the analogy in the courtroom. And Jesus Christ was that one. While Christ came, he's saying this, that the old priest died. When they died, you had to wait for the new priest, and the new priest would come. But with Christ, he didn't die. So here's the thing, where you have one priest that is passing, uh, passing away, he's only able to make an intercession once a year. The example and typology of Jesus Christ, according to the book of Hebrews, is that he ever liveth, meaning now, to make intercession for them. Meaning that Christ has fulfilled the role, not only the lamb slain the sacrifice, but he's fulfilled the role of the atonement. He's fulfilled the role of also being the high priest, and he ever liveth to make intercession. That intercession is in some ways a prayer, meaning that Christ is praying for you. He's praying that you're going to make it. He's praying that you're going to come through, that you're going to overcome. He's praying that you're going to have faith, that you will reign victorious. When life on this earth is over, that you will have been victorious. That Christ is praying for you. And when Paul says pray for us, what he's saying is for you to tap in and agree with what is already happening. You buy into what God is already doing. I need prayer. I need prayer. I need prayer in my life. This is what Paul's saying. He's telling the church, I'm praying for you. You got to pray for me. You see, this doesn't work just coming in. <laughs> you can't come to church and say, oh, I don't need prayer. I'll just pray for everybody else. It doesn't work that way. It also doesn't work the other way. You can't just come and say, I need prayer. But oh no, I can't pray for anybody else. Doesn't work that way either. You see, it's a two-way street. You, you've got to have both. You've got to do both. You come in, yes, I need prayer. I need God in my life. But also, i got to understand that there's someone else that needs prayer too. 
And that's a person, maybe I don't know their name, but I pass them in the hall at church. Or maybe, maybe I don't know, but they sit over here, but, but they need prayer too. And this Sunday may be their Sunday that God's going to give them a word. While I'm waiting on my victory, I'm going to pray for their victory. While I'm waiting on my, my triumph, I'm, I'm going to pray for their triumph. And while, while I'm going through this, I'm going to pray for them. And you know what I know is that when I'm in my valley, they're going to be praying for me. This is what makes the body of Christ the body of Christ. It's not the steeple. It, it's not the property. It's not the sign. It's not, it's not the orchestra, the choir. What it is, is it is the Spirit of God, and it's the grace of God that's working in our life. That's what the choir sang that song. It's a testimony that just says, I know something about God's grace. It's not really theologically very deep, but it doesn't have to be because all I need is just a prayer. I just need His grace in my life. I just need His grace in my life. Never would have made it without the grace of God. I got to have God's grace. And if I wouldn't have made it, you won't make it either. but I can tell you there there is a peace speaker there is a way maker come on there is a hope dealer there is a life giver and his name is Jesus